You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Just a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we could produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, at Podmania, YouTube and Instagram, at The Real Podmania. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at www.podmania.weebly.com. Let's do this. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Mania podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, it starts here. Our foray into Impact Wrestling and Ring of Honor starts here. Thank you so much for the overwhelming support of the announcement. Loads of people saying you're not going to regret this. And so far, from what we've seen so far, obviously we're reviewing Honor for all 2018 uh, today and then on Saturday. We're going to review Slammiversary, but having seen both pay-per-views now, I don't think we are going to regret the decision, and that's somewhat reassuring. Um, obviously, there are some people who aren't very happy um, that we are turning our sort of our focus to other promotions, which is completely understandable. And um, someone on Facebook did actually say, "How can you do a wrestling podcast without?" talking about or completely ignoring the top promotion in America. Well, I just want to clarify, we are not ignoring the WWE. I mean, I'm still going to watch it. I just, I, I can't bring myself to watch it religiously to review it because I just, I don't enjoy it. And therefore, if we don't enjoy it, we're not going to give you, the listeners, the podcast that I feel you need or you would like to enjoy listening to. Um, and like I've said, and like me and Garth said in the Extreme Rules review, <clears throat> we are going to still do the big five pay-per-views, um, including Money in the Bank. And we are still going to do the NXT takeovers because, let's face it, the best product that WWE puts out is NXT at the moment, without a shadow of a doubt. However, we are not here to talk about the WWE. We're here to talk about Ring of Honor's Honor for All show from Nashville, Tennessee, that aired on Friday. And, wow, interesting show. Um, no. Ring of Honor World Title Defense, and uh, no Ring of Honor Tag Team Title Defense. Um, even though, at least on the edition that I was watching on Fight TV, it said that there was going to be a match between Jay Lethal and Silas Young that never materialized. I don't really know what happened there, um, but there were some really, really good matches on this card. And let's just let's just delve straight in. We opened the show uh, with a Scorpio Sky promo. Um, he was facing Punishment Martinez for the Ring of Honor Television Championship. Uh, he went into this promo about how he wasn't scared of Punishment Martinez, despite his size and his obvious power advantage. We then got to Punishment Martinez, who basically did a contradictory promo, explained to Scorpio Sky how he should be scared of him because he was very powerful and a lot bigger. Um, he then also said something scary like, I can smell your fear in your soul, which is something terrifying. That you know to hear from anyone really, <clears throat> but we jump straight into the match. Uh, second defense uh, for Punishment Martinez. Sky, as he promised in his promo, goes nose to nose with Punishment Martinez to show that he's not scared of him. He will, you know, he's not going to sit down. You're not going to have me beat from the first off. You, you're going to have to beat me properly. And I think Punishment Martinez shows a little bit of his, or as, as much respect as Punishment Martinez can show. Sky starts hot. But, you know, ultimately the power and size advantage of Punishment Martinez wins out. The whole thing for Scorpio Sky, especially at the start of the match, is to try and get Punishment Martinez off his feet. 
this is extremely difficult because the man, very similar to Giant Gonzalez, sort of totters as opposed to selling. Um, and it takes a lot to get him off his feet. Does eventually get him off his feet with um, with a chop to the leg. But this is later on in the match. The big first big move is actually Punishment Martinez, who picks up Scorpio Sky into this falcon arrow and literally launches him across the ring. It seemed like there was very little control in this move. And luckily, Scorpio Sky was... Uh, was good enough in ring to sort of not be injured, which is good. Um, Sky finally manages some offense. Brilliant Hurricane Rana off the top rope on Punishment Martinez after avoiding a back body drop uh, by literally jumping on Punishment Martinez back with a double foot stomp and then follows all of this with a tope over the top rope. Punishment Martinez then kicks out of a springboard cutter, which looked really cool. Um, He then counters some of Scorpio Sky's offense into a psycho driver. And I've actually written in my notes that he counters a psycho driver into a brain buster. Sorry, Scorpio Sky counters the psycho driver into a brain buster. And I've put the closest two count I've seen. And up until that point, that was true. However, on this show, there were finer two counts <laughs> um, just in the semi-main event. So sort of, Take that with a pinch of salt, if you will. Um, Sky, sort of buoyed by the fact that he is getting offense in on Punishment Martinez, goes a bit too far in attempting a cutter on the apron. Punishment Martinez reverses it into a big boot and then a silencer, which is pretty much a curb stomp onto the apron, which, as we know as wrestling fans, is the hardest part of the ring. Eventually rolls Scorpio Sky back into the ring, hits a South of Heaven chokes onto the retention after driving Sky's face into the turnbuckle. Um, it was a good match. Decent match, uh, decent opener. Scorpio Sky, extremely good in the ring, extremely experienced. Punishment Martinez obviously relies a lot on his power, a lot on his strength, a lot on his height. Um, I don't know. I'm not into Punishment Martinez. Um, Obviously, this is the first time I've seen him in a long time. Um, I don't know a lot about him. So hopefully, the more that we see him, the more that we watch the weekly product, the more that we watch the pay-per-views, I'll I'll be a bit more invested in him. And I suppose that's the same with a couple of these matches, obviously having come into it cold, so to speak. We next had a match, a proving ground match. I quite like these ideas, proving ground. Um, it literally says, or it literally does what it says on the tin. It's, it's a chance for people to prove their worth to go for championships. And this was a match between Karen Q and the first Women of Honor champion, Sumi Sakai. Basically, if Karen Q wins the match, she gets a future Women of Honor championship shot. Um, Karen starts the match, obviously Ring of Honor. You start the match by shaking hands. She refuses and instead lays into Sumi Sakai with forearms. Speaking of Sumi Sakai, huge, huge, huge pop. And there seems to be <clears throat> a huge divide between um, Sumi Sakai and the reaction to Karen Q, because when Karen Q's music hit, there was literally no reaction. Sumi Sakai comes down, and there was a big reaction. Um, and I know that Ring of Honor at the moment are doing their best to elevate their women's division, which is absolutely fantastic. You look who they started to bring in, to Neil Dashwood, for example. Um, but, I don't know, it's nowhere near the men's, sort of the, the standard of the men's, which is something that WWE can say their women's roster is fantastic. So hopefully this is the start of something good. But going into this match, um, Sumi Sakai spends a lot of time on the back foot with Karen Q 
basically showing a great deal of strength. Um, she hits a big vertical suplex, massive, massive clothesline, um, dominates with a fisherman suplex, which Sumi Sakai kicks out of. Um, she eventually, the champion eventually turns the tables with a top rope crossbody before getting close two count with a swinging netbreaker. That swinging netbreaker looked lovely. It looked really, really well sold by Karen Q. Just looked really, really good. Um, yeah, Sumi Sakai then sort of went back. Karen Q sort of dominated a bit more. She kicked out of a buckle bomb, which was used as a transitional move into getting Sumi Sakai up for the Samoan drop, which she kicks out of. Um, sorry, Seth Rollins. Um, and then there was a lovely, there was a lovely little end to this match. Um, and I'll try and sum it up as best I can for you. Um, Karen Q goes to get the belt from the table, saying this is mine, this should be mine. It shouldn't. Don't know why she's saying it is. She rolls into the ring. Um, so then gets a chair. So she puts the belt in the ring, gets a chair. The referee takes the chair off um, Karen Q. Karen Q throws the belt while the ref's distracted. throws the belt. Sumi Sakai catches it. Um, she then starts, very, very reminiscent of Eddie Guerrero, sort of points at Sumi Sakai and says, look what she's doing, look what she's doing. Sumi Sakai, bless her, sells it as though she is the most confused of anyone. She hasn't got a clue what is going on at all. Um... Anyway, in the confusion, Karen Q goes for a Samoan drop. Um, Sumi Sakai reverses it into a roll-up, and Sumi Sakai wins, which means Karen Q now has to drop to the bottom of the ranking, so to speak, and has to work her way back up if she wants that championship shot. It was a decent match, nothing to write home about. It was it was there, I think, is the best way to describe it. It wasn't anything really for the crowd to get excited over. That cannot be said, though about the next match, which was a four-corner survival match between Kenny King, Shane Taylor, Chris Saban, and Jonathan Grisham. It was just... This was one of the matches of the night. This was a really, really fantastic match. The storytelling in the match was excellent. The sort of underdog story was fantastic with Jonathan Grisham. I really, really enjoyed this match. We started with two in, two out. Um, we started with Grisham and Chris Saban. Fantastic chain wrestling between these two, as you would expect. Obviously, Chris Saban's just back from the best of the Super Juniors. Um, after this wonderful back and forth, they shake hands again, showing that honour. Um, Shane Taylor and Kenny King come in. They embrace after their time in the Rebellion, take out Grisham and Saban on the outside. Then, as they both do the sign for the now defunct Rebellion, um, Shane Taylor takes out uh, Kenny King. They spent a lot of time in this match building Shane Taylor as a dominant force, which he is. He was by far the biggest man in this matchup, both height and width. He was clearly the strongest man in this matchup, and I, this was summed up by one spot. As Jonathan Grisham came off the top rope for a cross body, um, Shane Taylor caught him, put him on his shoulders for a Samoan drop as he turned round. Um, Saban attempted another crossbody, which um, Shane Taylor caught. So he's now got two people on him and then flipped them both over in a sort of fall-away slam. It was a really, really good move. It really got the crowd invested. It was the first time the crowd, you'd really heard the crowd get invested in a match. And it's not the first time that they're going to attempt this spot, but we'll get into that in a bit. 
Um, I've just put that all men sold Taylor's dominance, especially Grisham, who they seem almost like the Daniel Bryan, Sami Zayn storyline. Um, they talked about how Grisham had um, taken or performed in a lot of matches where he'd done himself proud with his performances, but he's always been just that, just performances. They weren't results. And the amounts that they went on about this, you could tell that this was sort of developing into a storyline, which I really, really liked. Back in the ring, Taylor is attempting to grind down Grisham, but Grisham keeps attempting to lock in this sleeper hold. Now, the first couple of times, Taylor powers out quite simply, um, but after a while, you can tell that this is starting to wear down Taylor. And that's really key. Now, <laughs> possibly the best tag I've ever seen happen during this match. Kenny King is on the outside. And as he attempts to springboard into the match, um, Shane Taylor is in the corner, literally slaps him in the face, slaps him out of the air, which obviously is counted as a tag by the referee, which leaves Kenny King in an absolute mess on the outside and leaves Shane Taylor to, um, to come in, which just, it really tickled me. Really, really good tag. Um, we then had a recreation of the spot, uh, the, the strength spot from before, um, with Kenny King this time. But instead of just fall away slamming both men, again, Grisham, Saban, we then had... Kenny King springboard over the top and hit Grisham with a blockbuster, which took all three men out. It was just, it was fantastic. And again, the crowd really, really started to appreciate this match because of these spots. Really, really good. Um, Shane Taylor, again, big, big bloke, big bloke, cannonball on the outside. The agility of him, considering his size, was really, really quite interesting. There was some chaos on the outside. Um, Taylor has wiped out the competition bar Grisham. He's on the outside sort of posing. However, Grisham, suicide dive onto the outside, onto the back of Taylor, again, puts him in this sleeper hole. Now, this is where you need to suspend your disbelief for a second because Taylor is caught in a sleeper hold on the outside. So, on the outside, it's fine. It's not a falls count anywhere match. It's not a submissions count anywhere match. If you stay on the outside, you are safe. Shane Taylor does the complete opposite of this and rolls into the ring with Grisham still on his back, applying the sleeper hold. And from this, then collapses and the ref stops the match. Grisham wins. And... Despite this match being a really, really good match, an excellent exhibition for all four men involved, I just... I don't understand if you are in a sleeper hole, why, or in any submission on the outside, why you would roll into the ring where suddenly it becomes a lot more, you know, effectively life and death. You are going to be submitted, whereas you can't on the outside. It's just very, very, very strange. Um... But really, really good match overall. It was ended with Saban and Kenny King both shaking hands with uh, Grisham, who the crowd really into. Really good match, really enjoyed it. We then have a match between Bully Ray and Chucky T. Now, <laughs> this is how long ago I haven't watched Ring of Honor. The last time I watched Ring of Honor was Bully Ray's retirement speech. So, I don't really know 
what's happening with Bully Ray at the moment, but apparently he is basically a bit of a prick who goes around to people he doesn't think have paid their dues and ruins their day. Is effectively Bully Ray's gimmick at the moment. Chucky T asked for this match after Bully Ray had been had run through what he likes to call millennials, people like Cheeseburger, Flip Gordon, um, and he's as sort of their champion. Bully Ray enters to no music whatsoever, which is just brilliant. I love it when Tommaso Ciampa does it. I thought Bully Ray did it brilliantly here. Um, Chucky T comes out, fantastic pop. Obviously, it's hometown. Bully picks up a mic. Um, says that he's got no issue with Chucky T. He's still going to fight him. Obviously, it's a match. But he's got no issue with Chucky T. He appreciates how he came up. He appreciates that he's paid his dues. He's a ring veteran. Um, he drew parallels between PWG, which is obviously Chucky T's promotion, and ECW of Bully Ray, and how, basically, they are more similar than Chucky T realises. Chucky T takes the microphone, no sells all of it, all the nice things that Bully Ray says and just calls him a douchebag and says that he can shove all those nice things he said right up his ass. Chucky T stay, they call for the bell. Chucky T starts with an absolute head of steam. Missile dropkick off the top rope. Attempts to hug Bully Ray, which is quite funny. Um, <clears throat> attends to the top rope. Bully Ray pushes the ref into the ropes to knock Chucky T off. The ref then gets up in Bully Ray's face, says, don't do that, I'll DQ you if you do it again. So, Bully Ray deliberately gets DQ'd by punting Chucky T in the dick. Which was anticlimactic, but but it sort of of played into Bully Ray's character, I suppose. Um, Bully Ray then gets rid of the referee, because obviously the match has ended, so he can touch the referee now, launches him out of the ring, starts beating up on um, Chucky T, hits him with the chain, which brings Colt Cabana from commentary to try and save Bully Ray, gets a, sorry, tries to save Chucky T from Bully Ray, gets a massive crowd pop. That lasts about 30 seconds before Bully Ray eventually beats down um, Colt Cabana as well, which then in turn brings the returning Beretta back. Um, now, Beretta has been injured since February, I think, during the Honor Rising shows, um, and he got fantastic pop again, sort of sees... Bully Ray out of the ring. Bully Ray doesn't run off, but escapes to the back. Trent and Chucky T hug it out in the middle of the ring. Best friends back together. And just a massive, massive feel-good moment. Really, really good. We then had a eight-man tag match. And this was at the point where I realised I don't think the match card that I've got's right because we had the Dogs, which was Reptitus and Will Ferreira, with Silas Young and the Beer City Bruiser taking on Cheeseburger, Eli Isom, Ryan Nova, and F.R. Josie. Now, there seemed to be a lot of matches that didn't seem to be announced beforehand, Um, and this goes, you know, especially for one in a couple of matches' time. It was a good match. Um, nothing really to write home about. It was there primarily to highlight the three men that Cheeseburger has trained, Isom, Nova, and Josie. And, you know, they did a good job. Each one of them has got a very distinct character. Each one of them has got a very distinct moveset. I'm not a fan of the dogs, especially Reptitus. I find him irritating, and I find him to be a less endearing version of Enzo Amore. 
And that is saying something because I don't like Enzo Amore either. Um, there was a lovely, there was a lovely bit of comedy where um, BSH Bruiser is told off for biting, and he opens his mouth, shows the fact that he's got no teeth, and he goes, "How can I bite? I've got no teeth." That was quite funny. Um, heels eventually go over though, as you would expect with the caliber of opponent on the heels team. Um, Silas Young hits, um, I think it's Nova with. Misery, a power bomb, and then there's a top rope splash by Beer City Bruiser for the win, which isn't a nice combination of moves to take uh, from, you know, irrelevant of who you are. But the team of the dogs, Silas Young and Beer City Bruiser, go over. Again, fun match. No real implications from it, to be fair, but a good match, good fun. We then moved on to the really serious matches of the night, and we started with Matt Taven of the Kingdom against Marty Skrull. Now, we were teased by the commentary team who said that these two have faced off in tag team action, they've faced off in gauntlet matches and survival matches and all sorts, but they've never fought in singles competition. So, this was something that was quite exciting because I know Matt Taven is fantastic in the ring. Marty Skrull, obviously, I'm more familiar with because of work in New Japan and so forth. Now, if you are getting ready for a match, the attire that you choose is not an open shirt, white shorts, and flip-flops. However, this is what Matt Taven came to the ring in, which I think confused a lot of people because people started cheering when they realised it was Matt Taven and then sort of went, what's going on? Because it got very, very confusing. In his hand, he was holding a red felt bag. He sort of got into the ring, ran down Nashville, said, why on earth would should people in Nashville... Why should I wrestle in front of these people when the best-looking people in Nashville are the tourists? Um, basically said that there was no way the real Ring of Honor champion should wrestle, so he was basically initiating a proxy, which turned out to be Vinny uh, Marcellia from the Kingdom. He then went on to commentary, and that was it. Literally didn't wrestle. The match was changed, the card was changed, and it was then Marcellia versus Marty Skrull which I imagine pissed a lot of people off, but really good heel work from Taven. People legitimately hate him. Um, we never find out what's in the bag. He says it's the real Ring of Honor Championship belt. We never find out what's in it. And in fact, Caprice Coleman, who takes over from Colt Cabana on commentary for the rest of the night after his injury, says, is there anything even in the bag? And Taven sort of skirts around it. So for all intents and purposes, we assume that there is nothing in that. Um, there is an absolutely massive reception for Marty Skrull, who, even though his nickname is The Villain, is still one of the most over people in Ring of Honor. It's really, really good. These two, again, had really good chemistry, worked at a quick pace. The opening was really quick with some really interesting chain wrestling. I'm not too familiar with Vinny Marcellia, and there was actually a lovely piece that the commentary team sort of talked about, and Matt Taven as well. And they were talking about how Marcellia isn't really seen as a singles wrestler. He's seen more of a six-man and tag team wrestler because obviously the kingdom of the current Ring of Honor uh, six-man tag team champions. And Taven says, I brought him in. I know what he's capable of. And trust me, this will be his coming out party. And to a certain extent, that was true. The two worked really well together and it was a fun match. Again, it started with uh, Marcellia being tossed out of the ring. Um, hiding under the ring apron so that when Skrull came out to do something off the apron, couldn't find Marcellia. Marcellia appeared, lobbed him up onto the ring apron. Marcellia, again, is 
sort of gimmick is the horror king and just a lovely piece of character work where um Skirl grabs the fingers and for those who watch a lot of ring of honor you'll know that he does that cracking thing with the fingers and everyone sells it as though they've been shot Marcelia was literally in his face going, go on, do it. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. And that was just a lovely piece of character work. There was a superplex from the top, which sort of injured Skill's back, even though Skill's in, uh, Skill initiated it. That led Marcelia to work the back of Skill with a lot of backbreakers. Skill, in turn, decided that he was going to target Marcelia's neck and did that with a brain buster and a pile driver. Going back to the brain buster, though, because of Skirl's injury to the back, he struggles to get Marcelia up twice. Ordinarily, if someone struggles to get them up twice, you would assume that the other person will mount some manner of comeback. But Marcelia sort of didn't. Even though it was three times that it took um, Skirl to get him up, he still sort of sat there. And Caprice Coleman, something beautifully said that Marcelli is sort of wasting time. Why is he not mounting a comeback? What is he doing? And it was it was just a very, very strange one. Um, Skirl eventually reverses a whip into a cross-face chicken wing. Marcelli taps pretty much instantly. Skirl wins the match. Taven instantly jumps into the ring and attacks Skirl. He's then joined by TK Orion, the other member of the kingdom. Cody appears to make the save with a chair, running very, very strangely whilst carrying a chair. Huge face pop. Huge face pop. He's got brown hair now. Obviously, that is the sign that he is now face. Um, so the th- two teams sort of face off, even though it's weighted heavily in the kingdom's favour. The security comes down, separates the two teams, even though they get to still get licks in. Marcelia and Taven and Skirl are all ejected from the ring, leaving us Cody and TK Orion which I didn't know was going to be a match. Neither did the commentary team. Apparently it wasn't on the card, but yeah, hell, why not? Um, the match starts. There's still chaos on the outside as Marcelli is taking out security with clotheslines and everything, which just begins as a brawl. I enjoyed this match, the Cody and TK Ryan match. I enjoyed this more than the Skirl and Marcelli match. And I didn't think that would be the case because I'm a massive fan of Marty Skirl. And... I know there's been a lot of criticism levied at Cody since he's made the jump to New Japan because of his, you know, again, air quotes, WWE style. But I think this match was really good. Really enjoyed this match. TKO Ryan, for his part, did really, really well in the match. Begins the brawl. TKO Ryan sort of rolls out of the ring. As a result, Cody brings out uh, his wife, Brandy, and Bernard the Business Bear, who is more over than 90% of wrestlers. (laughs) which is a sad indictment of uh, wrestling at the moment, that a man in a bear costume's moreover. Um, Cody but Cody sort of starts with the um, with the ascendancy, goes for a beautiful disaster kick on the outside. TK, uh, TK Ryan grabs Brandy. Cody stops, then goes for a clothesline. TK Ryan ducks, just misses Brandy, and TK Ryan uses that distraction to ram him into the post, which is the start of TK Ryan's sort of asserting his dominance over Cody. Um, There's one part where Cody sort of begins to rally. Um, He locks TK Orion in the figure four leg lock, which is fantastic storytelling because obviously TK Orion is still not recovering because it was 18 months ago, but even so, there was still that time where he broke his leg. 
um, at a show where he attempted to move sort off the apron. The barricade was too close. Very nasty injury. Um, but they, the commentary team sold that as well, saying that's a really good idea. Work on that weakened leg. Work on it. Um, Cody eventually rallies after TK spits in his face, which is delightful. Brandy distracts um, TK Ryan and Cody hits suicide dive. Um, there's a man there, and I didn't write down his name, and I hate this. I know it's Conrad. I think it's Joseph Conrad, who is the or one of the partners slash benefactors to All In. And everything to do with Cody in this show is to do with All In. Everything to do with Bullet Club is to do with All In. Obviously, it's a big, you know, it's the big show for them. Um, but TK Ryan has been there shouting Conrad's face at the start of the match. Um, <laughs> Cody then picks up Conrad's drink, which for all intents and purposes, I think might just be a Coke, and slaps this polystyrene cup into TK Ryan's face, who sells it as though it was glass, falls over the barricade. It was incredibly entertaining considering it was just a plastic cup um then we get to a spot where cody's on the top rope and tk ryan pushes the referee into the rope we've already seen that spot in bully ray's match so why have we done the spot again i mean it, it doesn't pay any real mind to the end of the match the end of the match is something completely different but it just, it's it wasn't even like, you know, it was the start of the card and the end of the card. These matches were literally next to each other with the exception of the Mike Skull match. So why would you use the same spot? It's just very, very strange. Um, But this led to a top rope power slam by Orion. Two count, Cody kicks out. Tico Orion sells the disbelief wonderfully. He then stands up, mocks Brandy, says, by the time I'm finished with you, Cody, I'm going to go to your wife. Brandy gets extremely agitated, as you would, takes out her earrings, as you would. Slides into the ring, distracts the referee. TK Orion uses this to clobber um, Cody in the face with his six-man tag team belt. <clears throat> but this doesn't lead to a three-count somehow. Cody kicks out at two, and then eventually Cody rallies crossroads for the victory. Really good match, really good character work. TK Orion, I thought, was really good in this match. There was lots of little different angles. Obviously, there was bits using Brandy. There was the bit using Conrad. And I thought Cody, you know, it's nice to see him being cheered as heavily as he was as a face. Because I'm, I don't know, I'm more in the camp that I think Cody is a better heel than he is face. But if he continues doing this, and obviously he then performed commentary in the next match, and I found him incredibly endearing, so maybe... We'll just give him a bit of time and we'll see how he gets on. Obviously, we'll see more at All In when he does take on the winner of the next match for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Again, All In plays a massive, massive part in uh, in this match because it is the NWA Heavyweight Championship match. It is Flip Gordon taking on Nick Aldis, who is the current NWA champion. Um all of this is about basically Flip wanting to be booked on the show and Cody not thinking that he is ready for this, for you know, for this big show. He talks on commentary because after his match he goes into commentary, talks about how this is a big leap for the Bullet Club. Um, it's a big endeavor, you know, it's in no way, you know, guaranteed to be a success. And he feels that even though in seven years' time Flip Gordon could be a franchise player you know, that isn't now and he can't afford to put someone who hasn't got the experience into a pay-per-view of this magnitude. And Flip's inexperience is something that the commentary team 
constantly, constantly refer to. Um, it's probably a good job you can't hear it. <laughs> He'd probably be extremely upset. But Flick comes to the ring, massive pop. Um, he comes in, rips off his shirt, and he's got a book flip t-shirt on in the style of the All In logo. Um, I've never seen Nick Aldis before. As Nick Aldis, anyway. I know he was in TNA. Very, very... I saw him very briefly. But he carries himself very much like a champion. <clears throat> in my eyes, anyway. And I think, from what they've said about the title having been defended in Japan, in China, in Europe, that he's perhaps the best person to carry this title at the moment because it seems like the NWA, you know, with with its lineage, which again is referenced to a lot by the commentary team, that, you know... It's about time that the promotion, the NWA, comes back to the forefront because you look at who's carried that title. You've got AJ Styles, you've got Sting, you've got Luthez, you've got Ric Flair, all these people, you know, Dusty Rhodes, for example. All of these people have carried this championship and it's it's a shame that it's now, what did Cody say, that it was Nick Aldis only won it because it was off a substitute teacher. And to have a title go from Ric Flair to effectively a teacher substitute who held it for something ridiculous like 700 and something days, it's quite a fall from grace. And if Cody's aim is to try and bring the NWA, obviously in line with Billy Corgan, trying to bring it through um, to get some more eyes on the NWA, then I'm all for that. And, you know, the commentary team do a fantastic job of saying, well, you know, you've got a lot of ties with the NWA and Cody says, yeah, I have. My dad was part of the NWA. He won the championship. It was on his desk. He got a replica one when he retired. He had it in a glass case. So, you know, he wants to carry that championship, and that's fair. Back to the match. During the best of the Super Juniors, I heard a lot of negativity towards Flip, and the negativity was sort of twofold. It was one was that he was very, very overly flamboyant with his moves. Everything was made... 10 times more complicated than it needed to be. And I watched a couple of his matches and I could sort of see that in a way. And another one was that sort of because of that, he botched a lot because he tried to overcomplicate things. And I I can understand that. But when you are in, you know, the best of the super juniors where you are, and you look at who you're competing against, you're competing against Will Ospreay, you're competing against Hiromu Takahashi, Taji Ishimori, you know, you tr- you know, Kushida. You're trying to make a niche for yourself. You want to perform at your best, and yeah, perhaps he was being a bit too extravagant. But I feel criticizing him for that is perhaps a little bit harsh. He didn't botch in this match at all. I thought everything he did was crisp. Everything he did was on point. You know, especially the opening segment where. You've got two very contrasting styles because you've got Nick Aldis, who Cody repeatedly compares to Billy Gunn, a lot bigger than he looks, and then you've got Flip Gordon, who is doing all the flips and the you know the flamboyant moves, so to speak. Unfortunately, this doesn't help him because in the opening salvo, Aldis just grinds him down with face locks, Boston crabs, two um, joint fall away slams. He does one, picks him up, does another one. Um, before locking in a King's Limb Cloverleaf. And it's at this point that Cody says, look, this is what I mean. Flip isn't at that standard yet. He's not there. He's not able to compete at the level that we want him to compete with. Things sort of take a turn for the better for Flip when um, Nick Aldis goes to the top. Um, Flip hits a kinder surprise and then a suicide dive. He rallies. 
um, Samoan drop, followed by a running t- uh, shooting star press, followed by a moonsault. So those three moves in quick succession, that gets him a two count. And you can start to see, and again, it's really good character work for it. You can start to see him thinking, shit, what am I going to do? Because I've literally thrown everything in that sequence of moves at Nick Aldis and he's still kicking out. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So again, this brings in the inexperience from the commentary team who keeps saying that, well, he needs to look a bit more basic, perhaps. You know, look at the moves that Nick Aldis is using. He's not doing it, you know, ridiculous flips or anything like that. Perhaps he needs to sort of go back to his roots. Um, Flip clearly ignores this. <laughs> Goes for a 450 cent on Aldis, gets his knees up, um, then delivers a pile driver and a big elbow for the victory, which you can tell the crowd is absolutely mortified by, but Flip obviously as well gets his foot on the ropes. Cody at this point says, well, I'm not having that, that's not fair. And you start to see the man who has spent the entire of the commentary sort of not ragging on Flip, but defending his reasons for not putting him in all in, sort of come round to Flip, sort of come round and say, okay, I can see what he's doing. He's, he's a trier. His resilience is really, again, that word is endearing. So he goes down to the ring, Cody, with a couple of the referees who've seen this. Um, they go to the referee who overturns his decision, which I didn't know could be done. Um, Nick Aldis is called back down the ramp to say, basically, this is going to happen. We're going to restart the match. His foot was on the rope. We shouldn't have called it. We did. This is what we're doing. Um, the match starts extremely fast. Flip realizes that this is his chance. Goes for a star-spangled, star-spangled stunner, which is extremely difficult to say. Uh, this gets him a two count, and that's it. That's the point that I knew he wasn't going to win. You could see on his face just the look of complete desperation. The commentary team said he's beaten so many opponents with this move, and still it's not enough for him. It's still not enough to put away all this. Um, he goes for a springboard, but a knee injury that he played on for the entire of the match sort of eventually gives way, and he gives way on the springboard, collapses. Uh, Nick Aldis then hits two no-release power bombs, which looked savage, and the bumps looked like they really, really hurt, and then locks in the Kingsland Cloverleaf once again, really cinches it in, flip passes out, and there you are. Um, Nick Aldis retains the NWA Heavyweight Championship. He will be the one going on to all in to face Cody for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Um, Cody, however, sort of playing again on his newfound face gimmick, comes down. With Aldis, in fairness, they both raise the arms of Flip Gordon. Aldis shakes his hand. He's gained the respect of Aldis. Cody embraces him. He's obviously gained the, um, the respect of Cody as well. Whether this is enough to see Flick Gordon all in, I'm pretty much going to guarantee it does. But whether it does, we'll have to see in the weekly product. But yeah, a really, really good match. Unfortunately, this was marred by Bully Ray, who made his way through the crowd, low-blowed Flip, and then literally lay on top of him saying, say my name. Bit weird, not going to lie. In fact, very, very weird. Um, Bully Ray then goes to commentary, sort of, yells at commentary for a bit and then leaves um so yeah a bit of a strange end to the match but a really 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 good match really enjoyed it flick gordon played a fantastic underdog in this match all this carried himself like a champion 
didn't do anything out of the realm of, you know, he wasn't doing moon salts or 450 centons, but the dynamic between the two of them was good. I really enjoyed the match. And this led to a main event. The Young Bucks versus the Briscoes versus SoCal Uncensored, represented here by the Addiction. And considering there were two titles in this match, obviously the Young Bucks are the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions and the Briscoes are the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, this was a non-title match. <laughs> it was just a grudge match, um, which someone said that um, on commentary that the Briscoes and the Young Bucks have faced each other 13 times, I think, and I believe it's 8-5 to the Briscoes. So they did a lot of historical commentating here. They said that obviously the Briscoes are the longest, not the longest reigning, sorry, the people with the most title reigns with nine. The Young Bucks have held them four times. So can, uh, the Addiction have held them twice. So there's a lot of championship calibre in there. And good God, could you tell. This match was absolutely fantastic. It started hot and just carried on. Um, You'd got the Briscoes who were just brawling, you know, clotheslines, double team moves, kicks. You've got the Young Bucks with their ridiculous innovation. There was one point where um, Matt Jackson used... Uh, hits a blockbuster on Christopher Daniels onto the knee of Nick Jackson. Um, this was then followed by a wonderful exchange between Nick Jackson and Frankie Kazarian. I'm not going to... This match was so fast-paced, contained so much, that there's absolutely no point in me trying to go, well, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. You need to go and watch the match because it is, it really is a fantastic, a fantastic match. It was the first match on this card to get the This Is Awesome chant which is brilliant because I'm sick of it being overused, because this was really, really good. And when you've got the calibre of people in the ring, you know, you've got Frankie Kazarian, you've got Christopher Daniels, you've got both of the Jacksons. It was a really, really good, really, really good match. There was a lovely uh, bit where Kazarian rolls up Mark Briscoe, follow, sort of rolls through, goes for the roll-up. You hear the ref say, Mark's not the legal man, Mark's not the legal man. Jay runs at uh, Kazarian while he's still standing, about to pin him. He catches Jay, fisherman suplex, sort of goes for the pin on Jay while still holding Mark with his back. It was a fantastic piece of innovation. Didn't lead to the pinfall, but really, really good. Briscoes then double team and absolutely brutalise Kaz for the vast majority of the next five minutes. There's then utter chaos in the ring. There was super kicks, fine over savant kicks. There was an um, angel wings, I think it's called, from Christopher Daniels. If it's not, please tell me and I'll Please tell me. Uh, there were sharpshooters. Um, one of the sharpshooters, Nick Jackson, has um, Christopher Daniels locked in, and he's absolutely nowhere near the ropes. Mark Briscoe is on the floor, so Christopher Daniels sort of crawls towards him desperately and puts an arm over him, pinning Mark Briscoe, which leads Matt Jackson to break up the pin and therefore also break up the hold. It was a, It's something I've never seen before in a way to break up a submission hold. I just thought it was a wonderful piece of, again, hate to keep saying the same word, but innovation. Um, Jay Briscoe's then taken out of the match with a blue thunder reverse cutter before um, the Young Bucks take out the addiction with super kicks. There's then chaos on the outside where everyone jumps over the top rope at some point, including Nick Jackson, who does a fantastic moonsault off the top. You've got the Briscoe's doing suicide dives. You've then got super kicks being thrown at everyone. You've got Cannonball from Mark Briscoe, and then a Blockbuster off the apron. It's just, it's chaos. But in the in amongst all this, the Young Bucks managed to get Mark Briscoe back in the ring, hit a five-star Meltzer driver, 
and therefore get the win and the pinfall. And the commentary team sort of said or sort of alluded to the fact that because they'd won this match, it will be the Young Bucks who are next in line for a title shot against the Briscoes. Good God, that was a whistle-stop tour of Honor uh, for All. Um, overall, a really, really good show. Um, it took a while to get going. Um, the first two matches, you could pretty much take or leave. There's not a lot to see. However, the um, four corners match between Kenny King, Shane Taylor, John Grisham and Chris Saban was absolutely fantastic. Um, the matches between Skirl and Marcellia and Cody and TK Ryan were really, really good. Flip Gordon, fantastic match with Nick Aldis. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I was thoroughly behind Flip Gordon, desperate for him to get all in, desperate for him to get the NWA Championship. But I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed Nick Aldis, considering he didn't do anything out of the realm of, you know, out of the realm of his simple moves. And then the last match, any match with the Young Bucks in is entertaining, but I thought that the Young Bucks, the Briscoes and the Addiction all were fantastic in this match, all with their moves, their innovation, anything that they did. It was just a very crisp match. It was very, very fun to watch. It was very fast-paced. And yeah, fantastic. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for our Honor for All um, pay-per-view review. Please join us on Saturday where we will be reviewing TNA or Impact's Slammiversary 16. What a card that is. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. You can talk to us on Facebook. Subscribe to us on YouTube, on Instagram. You can find us on iTunes and on CastBox for the... Um, for the podcast, you can follow me at, at Real Rob Goodwin. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen, and we will talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>